back with Vershawn Jackson on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Captain Rashawn Jackson with DP Nick's here and a walking living legend. 14 years NFL, no games missed, 12 Pro Bowls. Will Shields is here. Big fella. What's up, man? How are you? I'm excellent. I got so many questions for you, Will, because I was just. I'm I'm honored though that that you would grace me with your presence, um, so I'm just gonna get right into it. Who is the best running back you block for? Tough to say, man. It's hard to say best. Um, you know, I think you know accolades wise and what have you. Marcus Allen, you know, is one of those guys that I have to say best, most respected, and best, you know, out of the group. You know, I had to put him at the pretty much the top of the list of what he uh, showed me, taught me once I got into the league. But I've had a lot of unbelievable running backs, even from my high school running back all the way up that, of course, made me feel good and look good. So I have to give love to all of them. Perfect. So how was it – well, here's a question. Derek Thomas, how was it? playing again with and against him at practice. But tell the fans how great that man was. Because he made me look like I wasn't even supposed to be there. I was a little league guy when I when I was there at Kansas City. He made me look silly. And I don't think people really understand how good he was. So from your perspective, give us just a little bit about Derek Thomas. Well, you know, DT was special. Uh, on the field, off the field, everything he did all had a, had a different vibe to it than anything else. Um, you know, when he came through the locker room, when he, you know, put his pads on, when he went out there, he had a whole different level. Um, you know, and I guess most people give him, give him a lot of grief. They say the only thing DT didn't do was practice real hard. And I said the reason he didn't practice real hard is because he'd already done it before or after or during the offseason, so he was ready when the game came. So practice was just sort of a walkthrough for him to get ready for what, what was going to happen next. But – he was an amazing individual of what he would do on the field, but then what he did off the field was just as important as how he helped, you know, in the Kansas City community. He sort of set the bar for the rest of us of what we were trying to do and what we wanted to be as far as when you were considered being a Chiefs. Excellent. So let's talk about that. 68 Inside Sports. You created that, what, 10, 12, 13 years ago? Yeah, we're we're about thirteen old, thirteen years old, um, <clears throat> trying to move into the digital age, uh, you know, to help out, you know, to be able to to expand your reach, and to get outside of the city and help the city, of course, but also 
to be able to help people all across across the country, even across the world, understand that you know football is a little different, O line playing is a lot different, um, and we have to get back to those fundamentals of teaching young guys it's okay to be a lineman, uh, you know, and, and I think that's the hard part of everybody should start off as a lineman and then grow into their position after that. Uh, because we all want to block somebody sooner or later, we just don't know when that's going to happen. And and from what from what level it's going to happen? You talked about the greatness in DT and him already have prepared. I I you know coming from Nebraska, we the way we practice and we hit. I'm thinking and quite naturally, you know, they put me up against DT and and I'm I'm real heavy on my hands and I, I'm I'm like I'm getting ready to give DT everything I got and then some. Because you grow up and I want to you know you love this guy, you know what he's capable of. So I promise you, he olayed me like it was nothing. So the next, maybe it was the next day during training camp. Now here they come. They put me back up again. So this time I'm thinking, let me lay back. He bull rushed me. (laughs) And I asked him, man, like, how did you know? He said, I'm looking at the way you were, how heavy you were on your hands. So he already knew what I could do before I even got out my stance. He looked at my stance and said, I know what you're going to do. So and so, talk about how important is technique? Uh, technique is very important, but also being a student of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that's one thing that becomes that rare thing of being not only talented, but also being that rare student of the game to where you – have studied so many different things and looked at so many different things that you got to feel. So like when he was talking about you and your stance, he already, you know, hey, if you're light in your stance, he thinks that, hey, you want to dance with him. If you're heavy in your stance, you're going to try to come get him right away. So, you know, you got to have those different things. And so to me, that's really important to have those young people that can study the game because guess what? There's, there's always somebody out there that's a better athlete. There's always somebody out there you're going to face that's just, you know, just built, built different and built for that position that they're playing in. But where you can try to make it, you know, a little more easy on yourself is understand the little nuances of the game. I said, you know, I wasn't the fastest, strongest, and all of that, but I studied the game. I studied a lot of it, and I enjoyed studying the game um, because I felt that, you know, what I had, what I didn't have in physical strength, you can make up for in knowledge. Perfect. What – what DP? Go ahead and jump in there because I, 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 I'm going. Well, I well I'm always, I'm always intrigued with when, when the legends reach back and talk to the current players. Well, how much interaction do you have with young Huskers, the current Huskers, from from year to year within the program to give them the kind of insight and intel that you have? Is there a bridge for you to share what you know and what you care, how you care about it, with today's Huskers? Well, I think there's a bridge there. I just don't think I've crossed that bridge as much as I should have. Um, you know, and I say it's a two-sided street, you know, and that's the way it works. Uh, maybe I should reach out more, vice versa, and, you know, make yourself more available, and that sort of makes life easier. Um, but we do have some guys that are there that are uh, doing, you know, that are helping out. You know, we've got guys that I've played with that are teammates, like, you know, Brendan Styles of the world, those kind of guys that are in-house trying to get things together. Um, but there's always that opportunity to do more and be more, and I think that's sort of that two-way street of trying to build out what, what could happen next. You know, I, I, I just to piggyback that, I was just saying in the segment before you came on that the one thing that I regret 
and I don't I, I want to apologize to you, but I should apologize to myself is when I went to Kansas City not embracing who Will Shields was and saying, Hey, big bro, what do I need to do to stay in the NFL? Because you had staying power. What how did you make it? Well, how did you make every single game? How did that even happen? Well, first, you know, first and foremost, I think it's luck, sometimes stubbornness, all the above. Um, you know, there's probably some games I probably should have, could have missed, uh, but I was that hard-headed guy that was like, uh, I don't want anybody in my job or in my spot. And then when I got to a certain point, uh, some of my teammates were to that point of they were going, they were going, oh, man, we need you out there. It was like, hey, I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And they're going to me like, oh, man, well, we'll take, we'll take, you know, a, uh, 60% you compared to X, Y, and Z that could be out here or what have you. And I was like, okay, I'll hobble, I'll get it done. And, and so I sort of forced myself to go and get some things done. And, uh, and to me, that was like, you know, then it became that pride. It was really pride thing. I, I didn't want anybody to ever be in my spot. And uh, they call it hard-headedness. And I think that was part of that, that procedure of me like, hey, I want to be here. I want to be the guy that everybody counts on, and I want to be across, across, you know, across fighting every week, and I had so much fun doing it at the same time. Well, I, I, I like to – when you get legends on the program and on the station, I love to ask for you to build the perfect offensive line. <laughs> build the perfect offensive line. It could be – so oh. give me five guys so – four guys that you would, would love to go to battle with no matter what. Well, you know, the hard thing about it is that, you know, it's hard to put new guys or different guys outside of your guys you played with in that, in that group. Because yeah. um, you've seen guys, you've seen them play, you've watched them, you've been a part of it. But then again, you know, you don't know the mentality of them day in, day out, week in, week out. Um, you know, we had a line in 2003 that was fun. It was awesome. I love to be around those guys and to fight with those guys and, to me, that was that was a line that was a lot of fun to be with, and you know, to me, out of all the lines I was on, that was probably one of the one of the ones that I enjoyed because we had a blast, and we could walk into a locker room. I mean, walk on the field and go, you know, how many how many how many plays do we want to score in? You know, we were trying to pick that out, and when you get to that point, or how much fun you're having, you know, you don't you know you know that's what made it that's what made it more important being able to fight for the guys that you had with you. What do you feel like? Is your I mean, we talking Outland, we're talking Hall of Fame, we're talking there's so many different accomplishments that you've accomplished. What do you feel like your greatest accomplishment is in football? In football. In football it's hard. Um I, I think I think, you know, one of those is the, the the consecutive start thing was very important. Uh I think that's something that's unique within itself. Um but award wise, I don't know. Um you know the Walter Payton Man of the Year award is is one that's great for the uh, for being you know off the field stuff that you do, but it was my teammates that actually you know they helped make that happen. So you know that's one of those things that's really cool. And then at the end of the year when you go yeah but you know what about the Hall of Fame and what about all of that? You know when you're playing that to me was something that I wasn't I wouldn't I didn't play to be in the Hall of Fame. I played to be the best I could be week in and week out with my guys. And then the Hall of Fame thing just sort of happened on top of that, which was sort of that icing on the cake kind of thing. 
Well, let's, which, was, which was cool. Yeah, let's. I mean, but let's go to that moment, right, where the jacket is is on the stand. You've been sized for it, measured for it. You've got the collection of greatness around you, and the entire focus of the entire football universe turns to Will Shields as he's about to get his jacket. And when you put that jacket on, take us through what's going through your mind. Uh, you know, the first thing is surreal. It's you know, um, I had a coach. I had a you know Art Shell, in which he's he's in he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he was coaching me for a couple for a couple of years there. And he goes, you know, he was the first person to enlighten me that, hey, you know, you keep doing what you're doing. You might have a chance to get into the Hall of Fame and put those, he called it putting the 10 letters behind your name. And he was like, yeah, man, he's like, you keep doing what you're doing, and you might be able to, uh, you know, you're playing well enough to where you could actually put those behind your name. And I was like, yeah, okay, we'll see, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, he's a guy that's been there and done that. And that sort of set the tone, you know, as far as, you know, hey, keep doing what you're doing. So that means you're doing the right stuff. So I just tried to keep doing that. When we talk about – so so we, we said greatest accomplishments. What about greatest life accomplishment? You know, I think the greatest life accomplishment is any time that you, uh, you know, you get settled down, you have children or something of like that. that. That to me is those are great accomplishments. Those are, you know, things that you have to sort of say, wow, you know, uh, you're a dad now. You're, you know, your brother, your son. You're, you know, those things are really cool. Um, and and re- those, here's, are the, those are the things I think that are important. Yeah. No. Here's why. Here's why I say that. Here's why I ask you that because a lot of people don't know. I didn't know this. I try to do my homework. Your son was the first academic All-American in biology to play basketball for the University of Nebraska. Yes, sir. I mean, I, yes. that in itself. <laughs> I thought about that, like, dang, I, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps again. Like, for real, that is absolutely amazing. Will, we got to take a break. I want to hold you here for a little bit and ask you a couple of more questions if you would grace us with that time. Sure. Okay, so listen, I'm Vershawn Jackson. I'm with Will, the legend, the Hall of Famer, the Outland Trophy winner, the, the guy who I believe helped anchor the Nebraska line with the coach, D.P. With Vershawn Jackson on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Definitely back in the building. I'm Vershawn Jackson. I'm talking to my big brother in the faith, Will Shields. Will, I got another question. Let's talk. Let's skip back down to college now. Skip to Nebraska. October 31st, 1992. You remember that day? Versus Colorado. You there, Will? My lost Will. It's okay. Hopefully we can get Will back. We'll see if we can get him back. But, you know, I've got – listen, I've got a bunch of, like, just questions. I'm not done with my questions. Well, I want to know – like, you were bringing up a specific day because I was going to ask him what's his what's – his, Memorial Stadium moment. There you go. Like what's what's like what's the moment, right? Excellent. I think we got him back on, big fella. Yep, I'm back. Okay, so so we were talking. I'm, I, I and again, I was just going to ask you questions. October 31st, yeah. 1992. 
yeah. versus Colorado. Do you remember where I'm going with this? Oh, yeah, definitely. How I, It took me so long to, to even comprehend. Could a fumble Ruski work again? You said could it or did it? Well, I know it worked with you because I'm going to ask you, my next question was. Could it, could it work this day and age? Yes. You know, I, I think they would have to figure out how to run it because they outlawed it because the referees can't see where the ball touches the ground and touches the hands at the same time, that kind of thing. So they tried to outlaw it, and so there's a couple of different ways you would have to run it to make it happen. And I've seen other people do it where they actually hand the ball underneath to the guy back there. Um, but just for a guard, you know, I, I think it would be tough to run, especially with the rules and regulations of how they run it compared to when we, we ran it back in the day. How, how many times did y'all did y'all practice that in practice? Man, we practiced it quite a bit, and of course we were trying to be funny about it, you know, just showing, you know, coaching those guys. Oh yeah, we got this play that we can run, you know, we, you know they had ran it before, and we were trying to figure out how they did it, and so we kept practicing it and doing different things with it. Um, but when we ran it in the game, uh, it actually bounced down the field, so I was actually chasing the ball down the field. Some guys actually sit and lay on it while they run the play, and then they stand up and pick it up and then turn and run. Right. And then, you know, where, where ours was trying to pick it up and, you know, go right away, but the ball hit the ground and bounced. So, as you see in the first part of the play, I'm chasing the ball, trying to pick it up because it's like a fumble. I was wondering, I was wondering what you were doing in that. Yeah. Okay, that explains so then that. I finally scooped it up, and then by then, you know, everybody saw where the play was going. But yeah, it was it was one of those things. Of course, your eyes get big as all get out. The fan, he actually called the play in the game. In the game, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I didn't. I'm thinking that Dave Remington was the only one to really get the fumble ruski. But here it is. Big Will got the fumble ruski. Best coach Tenniper story. Man, there's there's so many of them. I know. Um, you know, um, I guess one of the things that was really cool that, you know, Coach, Coach Young um, and Coach, Coach Tenniper were the two guys that were recruiting me from, you know, from Lawton. And um, I think one of the coolest things that they did is they actually wrote a letter um, to me and said, hey, uh, I know we have five seniors that are here that are, you know, on scholarship and they're destined to play or what have you but we're willing to put in writing to give you an opportunity to at least play uh, as a freshman. And I thought that was one of the coolest things that, you know, any coach that ever did is basically, you know, put it in writing of, hey, we think that you can have a chance to compete, you know, right away, not promising it to you, but to at least put it in writing that you would get a chance to at least try to play. No. And that was one of the coolest things that I thought that that, that coaching, those two coaches could do. Now, how did well, okay? So, because I, I don't, I, let me just stay focused, and I'll get back to some other stuff. Because I was going to ask you about Dan Young, run it again. What are you doing? <laughs> back it up, back up yeah. five. I love Dan yeah. Young. I love when he used to call me and recruited me. Okay, so give me your best Jimmy Ray quote. Ooh, man. You don't know. You don't know. I, I don't even know if I can actually give the best one on the radio. But, okay. Well, you know, we'll get that uh, afterwards, but give me the one, the PG version. Coach Ray, so I've got, I've actually got a, uh, I've got uh, what I call Rayisms, and I have all of them written down in a, uh, in a, like, a, a Rolodex. 
Jimmy Ray quotes. Jimmy Ray quotes. Dude, yeah. a legend. And, and, I, and I keep them um, because every once in a while I see somebody use one that he's done in the past or what have you. Um, and it's really cool, you know. And uh, the one I think that was really cool that was printed out and actually was in the locker room was about running backs and about how to it's called get the yard kind of thing. And it was basically if you cover the field in glass and you put it on fire and you do all these other things, he goes, you're still, you're still told is to get the yard. And that's the true sign of a true running back. That you can do all these things to the field, and yet they would still come out to get the yard. And so it was pretty cool. I mean, but, yeah, I've got, man, I've got ladies and quotes all over the place, and every once in a while they pop out. Yeah, hey, I mean, just the short time that I spent with, 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 with Jimmy Ray was amazing because I've got all of those quotes. I mean, the one that really sticks for me is, is what you do speak so loud, you never have to open your mouth. Yes. And I was just, yeah. I, I've, been, I've had that with me for 20-some odd years, and, and that's what I try to live my life by is, you know, actions speak louder than words. So yeah. um, talk about how was practice when you were at Nebraska? Um, you know, practice was, you know, we had, we had stations that were built out across the board. We had, you know, we would go down – underneath and to the bottom where it used to be down there and we'd go practice and we'd run reps and uh of course you know ones against threes and twos against fours i believe or whatever that concept was uh we had so many guys man we ran we ran stations of different things and you sort of worked your way out of your station to the next level and that's sort of how they figured out oh you're okay you, you should move up to the next level because you sort of mastered this class and they put it together um but that's why our practices were they were down to a science. Um, come out, warm up, hit it. Then we go from there to uh, the next station, and then it was all stationed out from there. We go inside hall, outside hall. Um, well, you know, we really didn't pass a lot back then, so we didn't have to worry about passes too many times. Right. So we got a lot of extra work on the inside, outside hall stuff, and then some of the play action stuff off of that. But um, really, it was really uh, well formed, and also built that that understanding that each group got their reps in and understood what what was to do next but also you got competition because if you're a guy that's on the threes and fours you're going against the twos and ones and you know every once in a while you will have that one-on-one battle but that was more or less built up for you know the the off-season game times and things like that that you would have the spring game those are really the only times you got a chance to see one-on-one true battle except for you know, the one-on-ones for us was more down in down in the pit, doing one-on-one pass protection, one-on-one run blocking. Now we did that all the time, but mm. just the full team stuff made it made it a uh, you know made it just those that competition made it so much fun. Right. So, hey, Nate the Skate Turner says to you, Will, you were the most athletic dancing bear to wear the end on your helmet. <laughs> Even as a young bear, he was different. Huh? <laughs> I said, can you hear me? Yeah, he said. Nate, Nate the skate, Nate the skate. Turner says you we were dancing bear. He said even as a young bear, you was different. Oh man, I love the dance, man. That was one thing that was cool about it. Uh, um, I can't. I was like, I was a, probably a dancer before I was a football player, pretty much. Used to try try everything and do everything. So yeah, I, I it was really a lot of fun, especially you know when we got a chance to go to bowl games and. They actually had a place where we could actually dance or what have you. Um, 
we, we used to have battles with the other team to see who was the best dancer. Um, those were always always interesting and yet fun at the same time. Um, but yeah, you know, I I always had a goal in mind of you know just trying to do what you can do and you know, and it worked out well. Well, I tell you what, I tell you what, real quick, Will. Listen, think about what your favorite song is. We got to take a short break, pay some bills. I'm Vershawn. It's the Captain Show. We'll be right back at you on the ticket. This is 93.7 a ticket. Look at me short. Look at me short. I'm the captain now. Three-time national champion, Vershawn Jackson. Oh, got a bunch all alone is Vershawn Jackson. And Vershawn, he'll get it to the 24-yard line. Coming at you live from the Copples Chevrolet GMC Studios in the heart of Lincoln, America. On air and online at theticketfm.com. Here he is, Vershawn Jackson. Ah, yeah! Eight-man front. It doesn't pay off. Will Shields has got the football. <laughs> the old fumble ruski on that play. You could have a 10-man or 11-man front on that play because nobody expected Will Shields to get the ball. I was going to call that play. Yeah, well, I bet you were. <laughs> They just lay it on the ground, and the big right guard is going to pick it up. You see it, steadying on the ground. Shields picks it up right in the middle of your screen. He's not 4-5. He's not 4-6. Will Shields, that's the call when Big Will had his, his, his claim to fame where he got to be a running back like all those offensive linemen used to want to be running backs and receivers and Coach Tenniper used to throw to the guys, throw to you guys before practice and before the games. And guys was trying to make one-hand grabs and all that stuff. Before we get back to, to, to Mr. Shields, John and Cortland says, Mr. Shields, I still have family chapped, capped in Lawton, Oklahoma. Thank you for your time here. I enjoy watching you guys dominate games. Thank you for your son. He was a pleasure to watch. I am only one in a crazy Husker nation. Cortland John. So, shout out to you, Big Will. Yeah, he is only one, especially being back home in Lawton. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's the only one in Lawton, huh? Yeah, there's a few. There's a few more. I, I converted a few, but not many. I mean, uh, I did. You know, Mike Minner came after me from my hometown, uh, and then I had a, a big guard, a big tackle, a guard tackle that came a couple of years ago. So we, we've had a few guys. You know, Big Daryl. Gardner, those guys. Mm-hmm. So we had a few that came through. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's not too many there back at home. That's for sure. Lawton was a, was a, was a hub for Nebraska football. A lot of a lot of great players. I mean, Mike Minner, again, it, it, that must just be that work mentality coming out of Lawton because yeah. you talking about some great ones. Helps a little bit for us. I mean, and I've lived there my whole life, so uh, our competition, man. We used to look at each other and try to figure out. You know, who's going to be the next guy up that's going to get things done? And, and I think that's what made it a lot of fun of being, being there and not really knowing how good all the other guys were that were around you. I mean, we, we ended up having almost, you know, 15 to 20 guys that all went pro, and it wasn't just in football, baseball, basketball. I mean, uh, it's just amazing all the guys that came out of that, that little small town. 
when Coach Osborne recruited you, when he came, I, I would imagine he came to your house like he did everybody else, right? Yeah. What was that yeah. like? What was? What was Coach Osborne? The the mystique that is Coach Osborne. Some of the other guys that can, that came on the show, they're, they're they're talking about how when Coach Osborne came to see them, how the city or the town kind of stopped, and it's like Coach Osborne is coming. Like, what did you know about Nebraska football? How did you how when, when we're talking about getting recruited? How did that become? How did Will Shields end up at Nebraska? Well, you know, we actually we went up for a camp our sophomore year, going into our junior season, and we put Nebraska's offense in. And so at that point, those guys used to come down and go fishing with our coaching staff. But they really didn't know about, you know, our, you know, our players and our, our, our kids that were there at that point. Uh, but we decided to put in Nebraska's offense. We had an unbelievable tailback. Uh, Dewell Brewer, he ended up going to OU, but he's the guy that, you know, one of our best, one of our best friends. But he was built for that offense. And we had enough guys that were put together. He was like, yeah, let's go to camp. So we went up to camp, and there were 14 of us. And I, I must say, I do love you in Lincoln because that's what made our trip, what made us, made me decide to go to Nebraska, being there at camp. And we were just tearing the house down, having a good time, and being at camp was a blast. The coaching staff was awesome. Um, and I think that's what really sold me on being there. And then Coach Osborne at that point was like, you know, Will, you know, after your, after your senior year, we're looking to maybe, you know, to give you an offer, bring you in and let you play here. Um, but it was the, the feel of the city at that point just felt good. It felt fine. It felt, you know, you got to feel comfortable where you're at if, you, if you're going to go there and be comfortable. And I think that's one thing that, really was important. And then when Coach Osborne, of course, you know, he's coming down to Oklahoma. It's a whole different animal. Uh, they're not going to roll the red carpet out for you, that's for sure, because you're trying to get one of their one of their kids out of, out of here to go somewhere else, especially at that time since OU and Nebraska was such big uh, rivalry. But it wasn't that it wasn't that big for me because I didn't really, I, I'm telling you honest, I didn't watch college football. I watched the pros. Uh, my parents were Dallas Cowboys fans and so we used to watch, you know, football on Sundays. And so we really didn't look at, you know, Saturdays and, and know the rivalry and all of this other stuff that, you know. So I, I, got, I had the clean slate. So I didn't have to have the pressure that other guys on our team did that had that, you know, the pressure from, from being a homegrown person from, from uh, going to, like, Oklahoma and something like that. But yeah. it was cool. You know, Coach Osborne comes in, sat down, and just like anyone else, man, he had – you got to sell mama on it. If you don't sell mama on it, we ain't going. We ain't so, going. <laughs> he did a good job of getting my mom to go, yeah, he's a good, he's a good guy, Will. You know, I think, you, I think you do well. And, of course, she never said Will should call me Junior. So, Junior, I think, you know, it would be a good thing. You like him. You think it's cool. He seems like a nice guy. Let's, let's see what happens. Nice. Okay, so, Will, like, who was your favorite professional head coach? And why? Professional head coach. Um, it's hard. Uh, I love Marty because he played hardcore ball, and he was just like, you know, just like coming from Nebraska to, the, to Kansas City, he liked to run the ball. And so that made it a, a great transition for me. Um, and then having uh, Dick Vermeule, um, you know, which was, which was awesome because we started off at ends on each other. 
and then ended up being, you know, the best of friends and the best of compadres in everything we do. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, one thing that is really great to watch, you know, yourself and a coach grow together. Um, and then I had a couple other coaches through there. Um, I think I had, uh, you know, Gunther Cunningham for one year. So we really didn't, you know, and Gunther's a great guy. He's awesome. Um, you know, he, he was our defensive coordinator for so, such a long time that we got a chance to get and become real close. And then Herm Edwards for a year. So, you know, I didn't really have the thousand coach turnover, um, but the coaches I had were all great guys, and they all brought something different to the table. What's your favorite game? Favorite game? I don't really have a uh, best favorite game. game. I have best game. multiple favorite games. The favorite game in college was when we honored Kenny, uh, and uh, we did the thing where we did the wave uh, for Kenny. That, that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Gave you chills. It even gives you chills today. Now, now, now ticket um, fans, you, 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 you will, will. Let's just let's let's break down. You talking about uh, uh, Mr. Walker, right? Kenny Walker. Yes, sir. Yeah, and we talking. Kenny, Kenny was deaf. So, yes. just to give you a little background, Kenny was deaf. So, <clears throat> now tell that story because I think now that they know he was deaf, now you can kind of they can relate to what you were saying because I thought that that well, was it was awesome. Kenny, it was Kenny, Kenny senior day. Uh, and uh, we wanted to, they wanted to do something to honor him. And when you when you actually wave for those that can't hear, you actually wave your hand side to side. And basically, it was one of the coolest things to watch him come out. And you know, you know, he felt it just to see the energy on his face and see all the excitement um, to be able to see a guy that was amazing in what he did in the football field. Um, just just period, regardless, you know, for a person that couldn't hear or not, but just, just as a person, as a man, he's awesome. And so that was the game that sort of stands out for me as far as uh, the college college rank goes. And pros, I would have to say, um, you know, I, can't, I mean, can't really say my first start in the NFL, but I can say the playoff run we had my rookie year, uh, being around the, the Montanas and Marcus Allens of the world and you know, of course, DT and Neil and all of those guys. Um, that run was pretty cool. Um, just to just to be a part of it and to to learn from those guys within that year was massive. It it, it made me take leaps and bounds uh, as far as the mental makeup of what you needed to do, as well as understanding what it was to be a pro. Who was the toughest in college and pro? Who was the toughest? Uh, player you versed, you went against? You know, college, you know, I think practices were really hard. You oh. know, having uh, John Perella and and uh, Kenny and those guys to go against, I think those practices were just as hard as almost any game. Wow. Um, being prepared and getting ready. Um, and the pros, you know, I had, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the Mad Hatter from Minnesota always gave me fits, uh, John Randall. Um, oh, hey! Because then, because of because of the <laughs> leverage, right? Because of his leverage, he was shorter, right? And so that kind of evened the playing fields. Well, he was just good at what he did, man. I okay. mean, regardless of what it was, he was fast. He was quick. He could he could make moves. He was strong, sort of like what you said with DT. DT would do the same thing, but John would do it, and he was just one ball of a muscle. And so you're thinking, oh. And the greatest thing about it, though, he could do it from the same state. 
Wow. So he was one guy you couldn't read. You couldn't figure out what he was going to do next, which made it harder as you're trying to set up for what was coming because you didn't know what was coming. And so, you know, he's one of those guys that always gave me fit. Chester McLaughlin was one of those guys. Trevor Price was another guy. Uh, Trevor had to face twice a year, and he came in as a rookie. My coach was like, oh, man, I hope nobody teaches this guy how to pass rush because he's going to be really good. And, of course, he ended up being a coach over there with Trevor and that group, and so he, he, he got him ready for, for the, whatever's going to happen next. But, yeah, man, it, it, it was really cool to be able to say that you got a chance to face not only guys that are really great, but then some of the legends that you always dreamed of you would be like. Um, you know, the Ed Tupac, Jones of the world, and Jeff Coates, and those guys that you actually could say, yeah, you know, I, I got a chance to play against them once or twice before they, you know, decide to retire. So that was pretty cool, too. When when you talk about, uh, like, let's, let's talk a little bit more about Nebraska football. When, what do you say to the current group of offensive linemen if you were going to help them get better? What would, what piece of advice would you give them? Well, I, I think the advice itself is you have to learn all the nuances of the game to be as good as you want to be. So what I'm saying is you just can't learn your position. You just can't learn what you have to do. You have to learn what the guy next to you does, what they're good at, what they're not good at, what the guy behind you does, what they're good at, what they're not, and what's supposed to happen next. And if you can learn those things, you can always anticipate the different things that's going to happen to you on the defensive side. So to me, that makes a big difference. You've you got to be a, a student of the game, but a student of what you can do and what your weaknesses and strengths are and try to, you know, build the wall uh, better so that those, those weaknesses become not as weak a little more strong, but also knows what the guy next to you is really good at or not good at. You guys were always really good, like like the Eric Andersons and the, the and the um, Aaron Taylors, who I played with, the John Zadiska. You know, I played tight end my last three years, so I was down there in the doggone in in the soup. I can't remember what we used to call it in that sand down there, whatever that was underneath the stadium over there in North Stadium, when the tight ends yeah. had to come and we would go one on one with each other. But when you take what you learn on the offensive line in college, how easy of a transition was that going to the pros? What was that transition like going from college to the pros? Well, college to pros are all different um, because everything's different. Your coaching style that you have, uh, one coach believes in a drop step, one believes in crossovers, one believes in never crossover, one believes in power step, one believes in, you know, so – there's always that learning curve, and if you don't, what I call is your toolbox, and if you can't expand your toolbox, that's when you get cut and when you get left behind, and there's always a learning curve coming from college to pros, um, unless, unless you come from a college that runs a pro-style offense that has a pro coach that has experienced that and put that in, um, because you're sort of dictated by what your offensive coordinator runs, and that sort of dictates your blocking schemes and everything else. So there's always a learning curve, plus you're facing the best of the best. Um, you know, you say even, even the worst guy on an on a NFL, NFL roster is the best of somewhere from some, some school from some, some, other, some other thing. So you've got to look at it at a whole different level because each person has something different and unique that they bring. 
Why are Husker fans the best fans in the country? You know, I, I think the thing of it is is that they are um, consistent. They love their team regardless, good, bad, or indifferent. Yep, they might get mad or upset, but they're still true to be Husker fans. Um, the cool thing about it is they travel well. They, they're always there to support, and, you know, they love it, and that's what makes it cool. Um, and the thing of it is is that, you know, most of the time when you go to other games and other stadiums, their fans want to be the rowdy, the rude. I've never heard that about a Husker fan. Even win, lose, or draw, they're still going, hey, we, you know, we played a good game. You know, the knowledge base of understanding what's going on and what's happening is what really makes a difference. Who was that guy? Who was that guy who you kind of took? You know, we all had guys at Nebraska once we became the senior or the junior and we were kind of in, in a, a control position we all had that guy that we kind of took under our wing and kind of helped them out to be the person that they are who would who would that guy have been for you it just depends um i'm not you know or you had multiple um and the thing of it is is that you always tried to have uh a couple of guys that you worked with or you know were close to you um we even had guys that were walk-ons that i was that i was really close with and actually hey man you need to walk on you need to come on and try it um, and got them an opportunity to come on and play for a couple of years, and we're still close friends today. You know, that kind of stuff. Those are my guys. And uh, in the pros, it was always, who's that next guy? Because you, you never know. It could be you that get injured that needs to be, you know, needs to have that guy behind you that could come in and get it done. Um, so you're always training and always working with the next guy with you. Um, you know, in, in the pros, had a young guy, Brian Walker. b Watt, man. I play with b Watt. He's a Hall of Fame caliber guy. He's yes. there. Um, I'm cheering for him to bring him along. You know, hey, I'm like, every time you ask me, I'm like, hey, Brian, Brian is one of the next next of the next the couple of guards that should be in um, because of what he did and how he did it. I mean, he was a guy that was a free agent that was a tight end mm-hmm. when he first came in, tight end fullback, and ended up becoming one of the best, you know, inside guards, you know, in the NFL. And, um, so and he played are, a little you know, center, didn't he? Have those, other, those guys that you, that you think very highly of that, Work their tail off to become, you know, the best they could be. I mean, and, and to attest to that, Brian Waters, I, we both got sent over uh, to NFL Europe together, and where he played center. And I'm telling you, I I was going to ask you, how is Brian Watt B Watt doing these this day and age? Just because you know, sometimes you have great friends, and and because of football, I remember Joe Horn said something to me when I was there. He was like, you know what? I really don't want to be close to you right now because every time I get close to somebody, they get cut. Hmm. You know, so it's you know, and when I say that, you know, because it's a business now. NFL is about business, so you know, you you become great friends with a person, and then all of a sudden, you get the cut man saying, "Hey, go get your playbook," and now the person that you were really close with is gone. Talk a little bit about that aspect of the NFL as well. Yeah, it makes it difficult. Um, you know, it's sort of like you bring in, you know, you're getting close to people. Um, you know, our 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 class that came in together, it was you know myself, Lindsey Knapp, um, Dana Hughes, and um, you know Ron Dickerson. We were all in that same class of being draft class, and that really is the the last or the closest group that you get to to start with, um, because you're not sure. You know, you know which who's going to stay, who's going to go. Um, that kind of stuff. So you just, oh, yeah, this is my guy. We came in the same year. We're always going to be tight. We're always going to be close. And then 
something happens, they get injured or, or something, you know, and then the next thing you know, they're gone, and you're going, ooh, wow, this is different than, you know, in college. In college, you get injured, you're still there for a couple, you know, you get, when you get healthy, you're still around, you're still, you know, with this, they're moving on. And it makes it difficult, but, you know, for guys, you know, I think the longer that you stay there and you're together, sometimes the closer you become. And it's just hard when you have a guy that comes in and, you know, they perform pretty well at one year, and then the next year they've replaced him with someone else. And I think that's, you know, that's the hard part of the business. And so we always, uh, you know, I had a coach that told me at one point, he goes, the day we found that, that you could play, we're looking for five more like you to replace you. And that was my rookie year. He set the tone for me mentally of what is it, what's expected when you go to, to be a professional athlete. That, you know, you know, yeah, I asked the young guys that I talked to at the, at the combine and everything else that, are you ready to go take a grown man's job? Mm. If you're not ready to go take a grown man's job, you're in the wrong business because that's what this is about. Mm. Take a grown man's job. That, that right there in itself, I will continue to keep that in the mental Rolodex. Will, what, what do you got going these days? What, what's going on with Big Will Shields now? Well, you know, I, I still have my foundation, The Will to Succeed. Uh, we work with barren abused women and children, but we also help those that are in economic need. Um, I'm looking to start a new 501c3 piece of that that works with creating tech talent in the uh, inner city, inner city stars. It's called IC Stars, and we're going to bring uh, tech talent to where tech talent is not being seen before from the inner city, uh, inside out, not outside in. Um, as well as I'm on a couple of boards, um, you know, that I work with. I help guys. Uh, I'm part of the Midwest Innocent Project. And so what we do there is help those that's been falsely accused uh, get exonerated um, uh, from prison. And um, so I work in those realms of doing different things. And then, uh, you know, still doing little things with uh, inside sports, uh, doing some online stuff, building out some new things. And actually I'm on my way to uh, Dallas and what we're doing, uh, my friend Adrian, which is my best friend since we were since we were young kids, um, has built a. Uh, is actually we're helping young women get college scholarships for flag football, which is brand new to the NCAA. Um, and so we're having a clinic for 200 guys, 200 young men that are trying to get into the pros. And then at the same time, we'll have almost 60 or 70 girls that'll be there doing tryouts to, so that. Uh, a couple of the coaches that are actually already having teams that's put together are there to scout some of the some of the ladies, so we can find scholarships to help those young ladies get to the next level. Nice. And then, how does uh, Husker fans out there in Ticket Country? How do they kind of help out? How do they donate to the cause? Is there someone, something, or a website that they can yeah. go to? Yeah, yeah. We still have the, we have the Will to Succeed dot org, um, and then we also do have the IC Stars. Uh, website, which are all up in their .org also. Uh, it'll be the Kansas City chapter is what we're looking to build out here in KC. Um, and, yeah, so will to succeed or willshills.com, and that'll lead them to all the other sites to where if they want information of what we're doing next and what we're trying to create and, and how, how they can support and help out. Well, big bro, man, I appreciate you. I would hope that you would come back. Because there's so much more that I, I've got pages of questions. I got pages yeah, let, of them. Let with. me know and I'll come back. Man. Okay, we'll, we'll get we'll get through all of them. All right, because I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna miss the chance to, to hook my 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 uh, 
car to your train this time around. And uh, I just want to tell you, I thank you. Hey, uh, Will, give us your best. Go yeah. Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red. Thanks, Will. We'll talk to you in a minute. No problem, this man. is Rashawn Jackson. I am the captain. It's the ticket. 93.7. Be back at you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.